Well, thank you for joining us today as we celebrate what God has done in our life and we worship together. In fact, when you think about what God has done in the past, what he's going to do in the future, there's a phrase that God's people would say together. They would say, uh, amen, which means so be it. So amen? Amen. 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 Or as they say in Cincinnati, who day? That's right. A lot to be thankful for. Yeah, today we're going to talk about what your practices are. What are those daily practices you have? Yeah, maybe it's why I brush my teeth and I eat and I work out and uh, maybe I, I have Bible study or prayer time or I always try and sleep and I get woken up by my shoulder. You know, what are the daily practices you have? Because in one sense, we are what we practice. And I have uh, three practices that I have almost perfected over the last 40 years. I do them almost every day. I call them the C3 plan. C3 plan. Take notes here. It's going to be good. So uh, every day you want to, number one, I try and be crabby. That's C1. I try and be critical, and I try to complain every day. And as my mom says, practice makes perfect. So the more you practice being critical, crabby, and complaining, the more you'll not only be good at it, but you won't know you're doing it. Other people say, you're kind of crabby today, and you'll say, I just tell it how it is. I'm just speaking truth. I'm a truth talker. Like, Actually, you're a complainer. Uh, and you're uh, crabby, and you're critical. And God is going to address this issue in the preparation days of wilderness. Because when you're going through wilderness, there's a lot to complain about. There's a lot to be crabby about. And when we go through wilderness, God wants us to learn in wilderness how to be grateful, how to be thankful. Now, I would have added another C to my C3 plan, but then it would be C4 and I'd blow up. So you want to just stick with the C3 plan. But God is going to teach people in wilderness how to practice gratitude so that they're prepared for what he has for them in the promised land. Now, as we've looked at this book of Numbers, we've learned that there are three wildernesses. The first is the wilderness of Sinai. That's where we're at today. This is the wilderness of preparation. Two years preparing yourself to trust God, to enter his promises, and to practice certain things like gratitude, like trust. And here we're learning how to count on God's presence in the center of our lives. Then we'll go into the wilderness of Paran, it'll be the, uh, or Paran, it's the wilderness of testing. And the major reoccurring theme is an attitude of gratitude versus critical, crabby complaining. And then we'll move into the wilderness of temptation and learn how to face temptation in our life by trusting in God's wisdom. So where we've been so far in this journey is that we've looked at the first four chapters on what it means to go into your life and into your wilderness with God's presence with you, with God's tabernacle at the center of your life. We learned about these anthems or banners that went before them, like the, the one of Judah, the Lion of Judah, a reminder that whatever you're facing, whatever is happening, whatever is coming in the future, you can have courage because God, the God of Judah, is with you. Then last week, Drew helped us understand that we're supposed to be separated from sin as we're preparing for promised land and separated to God. And today we're going to learn what does it look like in preparing for what God has for us How do we live with grateful living as we're daily practicing a reflection on his generous giving? And that's a daily practice he has for us. So I want to give you two practices 
related to gratitude in your life. And my hope is it will give you a sense of purpose every day. It will realign you for some of these crabby critical uh, patterns that we've been practicing for so long so you can sense that God is with you and live with that sense of hope and joy, how you can bless the people around you. All right, let's look at the first practice. How do we develop gratitude? Well, first let's look at kind of me a summary of this chapter, what his main point is. He's going to say, hey, Moses set up a tabernacle. God was so generous to you, he brought his presence to earth. He didn't just get you out of Egypt. He brought his presence to earth and tabernacle. He anointed it. He consecrated it. Then the leaders are so grateful that God made a place that heaven comes to earth that you can be forgiven that they made an offering. Thank you, God. And the Lord said, accept these things, these offerings, from them that made them used, and use this offering for the work of the tabernacle. So Moses took the carts and the oxen, part of the offering, I guess, and gave them to the Levites to do the work of God. To the sons of Korah, he gave nothing. Why didn't he give them anything? Because theirs was the service of holy things. They were actually, not just the things, the tabernacle and the ox, they themselves were the service of holy things. Have you ever thought of yourself as called by God into doing holy things? That the work you do, the relationships you build, your everyday 24-7 job can be a holy thing when you bring God into the center of what you do. And then you see people just present offerings. <laughs> they offer, they offer, they offer, they present an offering, offer, 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 offer. Now two words I want you to understand. Number one, the word consecrated means God set them apart for a purpose. He sets the tabernacle apart for a purpose. Then he sets the instruments apart for the purpose. Then he sets the people themselves set for a purpose. And I want you to know today, if you're going to live gratefully, you need to realize God set you apart for the purpose of living gratefully so your grateful living can draw people to you and ultimately to him. The second thing is the word offering is used constantly in these couple chapters. The word offering certainly includes your money, but it's primarily an expression of gratitude. It's primarily expressing, I'm so grateful for who God is and what he's done. I've got to offer something in return. So that's the idea here. His main idea is he's trying to consecrate us for the service of holy things by living with gratitude and offering. Let's look at the first thing. What does it look like to have generous living or grateful living in light of his generous giving? So it came to pass that Moses, as I mentioned, sets up this tabernacle, consecrates it, and then he consecrates them, the pieces of it. Then it says in verse 2, the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's house and those who were leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, made an offering. They're just like, man, God, I'm so thankful. And it gives us details about the offering. Six covered carts, 12 oxen, a cart for every two liters of the ox, and they presented them before the tabernacle. Here we see just offerings, grateful living, grateful offering because of God's generous giving. He gave us a tabernacle to be forgiven and to be in his presence. It goes on. Then the Lord said to Moses, I want you to accept these things, these gifts, that they, the things, the tangible things in your life can be used in doing the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his presence. They took all these pieces we already talked about, that they could be part of the service of the holy things. And he develops that by saying, how are you going to respond? 
How will you respond to knowing God delivered us from Israel, he delivered us from the Red Sea, he provided a Passover lamb, he's made a tabernacle, he's created a giant cross so we can be centered on him. And so what happens is all the 12 tribes get together and each of their leaders every single day says, I want to give an offering on behalf of our tabernacle. We're so grateful. The next group's like, we're so grateful. We want to give an offering. So this is like the, the 12 days of gratefulness. It's the first practice. It's really an amazing practice. And, and one I, I want to encourage you to try. For the next 12 days, I want you to try and practice thinking about what God's done for you, what he's provided for you, and what would it look like, not in your head and your heart, nobody can see your head and your heart, what would it look like out of your mouth, in your schedule, to say out loud, to speak out loud, to practice grateful living for 12 days? Look, look what happens here. So the first one shows up for his offering on the first day. It was Nashan, the son of Abinadab, from the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver platter, the weight which is 130 shekels, one silver bowl, 70 shekels. And it goes on. This offering included fine flour mixed with oils, a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, a young bull, and on and on and on, two oxen, five rams, and five meal. God, I am so grateful for who you are and what you've done. This is my offering of thanksgiving. And that's just on the first day. Then, remember this 12 tribes? Well, for the next 12 days, we have basically the 12 days of gratitude my true love gave to me. It's like, second day, so-and-so presents an offering. Third day, Eliab presents an offering. And each of these guys represents the different tribes of Israel. And so we literally have 12 days of gratitude. All reflecting on what God's done and thanking him through a offering. What if you took 12 days and every day found something to be thankful for, Remeditate on what God's done for you, instead of focusing on all things he could do or should do or ought to do or didn't do, practice the 12 days of gratitude. How might our lives be better? How might our marriages be better? How might our workplaces be better if we practice the 12 days of gratitude? Well, he goes on. And again, he connects this again that grateful living is connected to God's generous giving. He says, now this was the dedication offering for the, te- for the altar from the leaders of Israel. And notice all the twelves, all the, all the givings come together here now. Twelve silver platters, twelve silver bowls, twelve gold pans, all the oxen for the burnt offerings of twelve young bulls, and the ram's twelve. And the lamb that came in that was year twelve, and the grain offering, the kids of the goats, also twelve. Now verse 89 Now, when Moses went into the tabernacle to say, God, we're just so grateful for who you are and what you've done. He heard the voice of the one speaking to him. God himself is speaking again. God's so moved by their gratitude and their offerings. But look where he's speaking from. He's speaking from above the mercy seat. So the mercy seat, if you've ever seen the ark, it is this section right here. It's kind of the box right on top. And that is where you would put the blood of the, of the sacrifice. And it represented these two angels, God's judgment coming down upon us. And yet the blood, the mercy seat or the atonement would absorb God's judgment for us so we could live not under judgment, not under guilt, not under condemnation. We live free because his mercy, which means not getting what you deserve, and his atonement covers and absorbs God's judgment for us. 
So here again, what is all these offerings about? It's another example of God's generosity. God gave us mercy. God gave us atonement. God provided for us. How often do you spend time meditating what God's done, the mercy he's given you, and then extending that to other people? I had an opportunity this year to reconcile with somebody I had not talked to in over 10 years. And when the opportunity presented itself, I was less than excited. I didn't want to do it. I could tell you why they didn't deserve it, why it was a waste of my time, why they deserved X, Y, and Z, and I could build a pretty good case. And God reminded me that whatever story I had, whatever case I had, he had shown me far more mercy than I was extending to this person. And because I focused on what God had done for me, grumbled a little bit, because remember, C3 plan. And then I went, you know what? I need to extend mercy to others the way God's extended to me. And that's what I did. So I went and had this connection with this person, and it was a couple days. We were together in a family situation. And overall, it went not just below average. It went average. It actually even went well. I was shocked. And as we're conversing, I got to hear amazing stories over somebody who had really matured, somebody who God had really been blessing work in their life for the last 10 years. And, and I was ex- excited, and I asked some questions about it. And then I shared some things going on in my life. And, and then you ever had that moment where you're telling stories with people, and instead of kind of just celebrating with one another, you feel like the next person's trying to one-up your story? And I'm like, oh, this isn't going well. So I tell a story, and then they would go, well, that's nothing. You know, I once. And then I didn't even realize at the time, but I started doing it. You know, like, well, yeah, well, let me tell you about my story. And it turned into like this weird resume exchange. You ever, you ever found yourself in that weird resume exchange? Look what I've done. Well, look what you've done. I got done, and it wasn't hostile or anything, but I just walked away and I went, what happened there? I went, oh, out of my own insecurity, I started well and, you know, kind of went into a ditch. And I thought, you know what, I'm not sure she picked up on it, but I think what God wants me to do is to nip this with gratitude. So I sent a text, I haven't sent a text in 10 years to her, and she said, I'm just so proud of what God's doing in your life. I'm so proud of the hard work you've done. I'm so proud that God has been blessing your endeavor, and it was awesome to hear your story. Now, did that fix my my own heart 100%? No, but it was a pivotal moment in shifting my perspective. I reflected on God's mercy to me, extended that mercy, and extended gratitude with my mouth from a text to someone else. How about you? Grateful living in light of his generous giving. What does it look like to live in the banner of courage and the banner of gratitude in your life? In your wilderness, right? In your difficult moments. It's a well-traveled story. It's a true historic story about Corrie Tinboon and her sister. They were in a Nazi death camp. Three times the women crammed into this makeshift housing that should ever have fit in there. Fleas everywhere, bites on all the women's body, horrible welts. And one day, Corey Tinboon turned to her sister and they pulled out the Bible and said, Well, God commands us to thank Him in all things. So I think we should thank God for the fleas. Say what? It says, Thank Him in all things. So they prayed together and they thanked God for the fleas. When they were done praying, she said, I just realized that 
these fleas are a gift. Because the fleas are in here, the soldiers don't come in because they don't want to get bit, which gives us freedom. It keeps us from being assaulted sexually and physically. Because of the fleas, we've been able to read the Bible and we're not bothered by the guards, so we actually have time to, to t- get in touch with God. The other women who don't know about Jesus, we've been able to talk to them about Jesus. And most of that, a lot of that is because of the fleas. Grateful living in wilderness because of his generous presence in our life. All right, our second practice. Our second practice has to do with our work life. Grateful living allows my workmanship, my things I do, my everyday workmanship to light the way for others. Did you know that you're not just supposed to think about God on Sunday and when you're reading your Bible, that your everyday, 24-7 work, how you talk, how you work, your craftsmanship, your work ethic, your working under the Lord is designed by God to be a way to extend gratitude to draw other people to Him. Let me show you how I get that out of the text here. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, All right, I want you to speak to Aaron and say to him, I want you to arrange. I want you to do some things. Do some arranging. Maybe you're a hospitality person. Maybe you're a decorator person. Maybe you're an organizer person. I want you to arrange some lamps, specifically the menorah, the seven-lamped lamp. And it's going to give light in front of the lampstand. So somebody's going to make this their work. Somebody's going to arrange this, that's their work, and the purpose is it's going to light the space for the Levites to lead people into God's presence, help them find forgiveness and restitution. He goes on to talk about the lamp, the menorah. He says, now this workmanship, now look at that word. This is done by a goldsmith, an artist, a craftsman. It's their real everyday work. What you do as a mom, as a dad, as a boss, as an employee, your workmanship is designed to light the way for other people. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, you are God's workmanship. Did you know that? You. Not just the stuff you do. You are God's workmanship. God put you on earth, consecrated you for holy things, that what you do, how you interact, how you speak, how you forgive, how you confess, how you agree with him, how you treat other people in ordinary work life, what you bring to the table with your precision of your work is designed to light the way for others. In fact, he mentions that this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold. It wasn't just thrown together. From its shaft of its flowers to it was, it was hammered work. It was detailed work. It was craftsmanship work. According to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses, he made the lampstand. So if you've never seen what uh, a menorah might look like, it might have looked something like this. It was made of pure gold. It had places at the top for olive oil. And it was designed to look like a tree with flowering buds to remind us of the Garden of Eden where God presenced himself with us. So someone used their work their craftsmanship, their hammering, and saying, I want people to see how I work and be drawn to the God who gave me those talents. Did you know the book of Deuteronomy says that God has given you your ability to produce wealth? God wants you to produce wealth. God wants you to work. And God gave you that ability. And we can be so grateful for his talents, for his opportunities, and for his craftsmanship. We say, God, how do I worship through my work? So that something about my life is so attractive that it will invite people to be curious about what makes me tick and who makes me tick. 
If people see you in your ordinary work life, how you work, how you treat, how you serve, how you lead, are they drawn to the fruits of the Spirit coming out of you? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, hope, self-control, all these attributes of God. When we were, uh, when COVID first hit, one of the things we did, because one of our trips got canceled that we had planned for, uh, my wife and I, we decided to instead go sailing. So we learned how to sail. And we sailed to a place called uh, the Dry Tortugas. That's Fort Jefferson. It was the Pentagon of its day. It was designed by the U.S. government to protect all the Gulf of Mexico. Well, while we were there, somebody said, hey, if you get there, there's a lot of tour guides, but there's only one tour guide you want to listen to. Who's that? Mr. Hollywood. I said, that's his name? That's what we call him because he's that good at his job. Now, I've been through a lot of boring, boring, boring tours. This guy's workmanship and how he ran this tour was stunning. As we came into the Dry Tortugas, we ended up in one of the corners. In one of the corners, we came to a jail where he told us the story of Dr. Samuel Mudd. If you've ever heard the story or the phrase, your name is Mud, it comes from this guy. Your name is Mud. Dr. Samuel Mud was incarcerated here because when John Booth finished assassinating Abraham Lincoln, he jumped out a window and broke his leg. He went to a doctor, Dr. Samuel Mudd, who helped him with his leg injury. Samuel Mudd and his descendants said he had nothing to do with the assassination, nothing to do with anything except his Hippocratic oath of helping someone who was hurt. But because he helped Booth, he was thrown to the Guantanamo Bay of its day. He would spend the rest of his life here in prison. When he arrived, he was hated by the families and soldiers who lived there. He was considered a traitor. He was unjustly treated. And just a few months later, a pandemic broke out. Yellow fever. They didn't know what it was called at the time, but everyone started getting sick and dying. They quickly took one person at a time, and about a about 100 yards from this island is a very small island they put the sick, hoping they'd isolate them and keep it from spreading. But no matter how many times they isolated people, it kept spreading. The nurses died. The doctors died. More and more soldiers and families and children died. Dr. Samuel Mudd said, I would love to help my enemies. I would love to help those who have unjustly treated me and accused me of things that I don't think are true. How can I serve? And at great risk to his own life, he began to take notes and work with and care for the sick, trying to figure out why this thing was spreading. It wasn't contact-based. It must have been airborne. He began to take notes discovered it was coming from mosquitoes and took extensive notes and eventually saved the community here with his medical care. So much such that the soldiers here at Fort Jefferson sent notes to the next president and asked them to set him free. And just a few years after he was incarcerated, Dr. Samuel Mudd, whose name had become Mudd because of these accusations, was freed. Then in the middle of a pandemic, Mr. Hollywood said, he learned how to love his enemies and people who disagreed with him, how to care for people who had a different opinion than him. He began to serve people with the skills and talents he had as a doctor. He got done with this and a hundred other presentations that day, and I went, oh my goodness, 
Somebody who loves their job, research their job, and draws into the pandemic and applying it to our life. I had this godly experience of being drawn toward hope and courage and being more forgiving because of Mr. Hollywood, a tour guide in the Dry Tortugas. And the story of a man named Dr. Mudd who did the same. In fact, after he was released, yellow fever broke out in the United States. And it was the notes of Dr. Samuel Mudd that helped us as a nation fight against yellow fever. Whether you're a doctor or mom, whether you're an organizer or an arranger, God wants you to gratefully live your life worshiping through your work. And he kind of develops that idea in the next part of the passage. He gets back to this wave offering. He says, now the Lord said to Moses, take the Levites from among the children of Israel, and I want you to cleanse them ceremonially so that you shall bring the Levites before the Lord. And the children of Israel will lay hands on the Levites. So we're not laying hands on the tabernacle anymore or on the, 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 the lampstand anymore. We're now laying it on people. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering. The people are a wave offering from the children of Israel. That they may perform the work. So while they're performing the work, they are being a wave offering of gratitude to God. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that we can serve. Thank you that we can work. You shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Jump down to verse 15. Offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. So what is a wave offering? It is when you, as a family would go out to the fields that you work. You've been working your fields. you got your, 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 your straw. you got your grain. you got your, your, your barley. You would scoop it up, a portion of it. You'd bring it to tabernacle. And you literally would say, Thank you, God, for the fruit of my labor that I get to work. And thank you that you brought up crops again. Thank you for while you're providing for me in my life. And I want to give you a piece of my wave offering in gratitude for how much you've given to me. And while people were providing a grave offering with their work, the Levites, the people offering the offerings, were literally the, grave off, the wave offering themselves. Now, some people, it would happen if you raised cows, or you brought a, not cows, but if you brought a goat or a sheep, you would actually take a piece of the meat after you sacrificed it. You'd grab a big you know, steak or lamb chop, and you'd bring that, and you could have a meat wave offering. God, thank you for making a way I could be clean again. Thank you for making a way I could enter your presence. And you're waving the meat, and you're waving the, the barley, saying, God, I am so grateful for who you are and what you've done. In fact, uh, they still practice wave offerings today gather together, they read the scripture, and they lift up, and they say, God, thank you for what you're doing. But don't miss the connection. It's work. Your grain, your cattle that you're raising, you bring before, and in gratitude, you wave, God, thank you for who you are, for the skills I have, the opportunities I have, for the ability I have to produce wealth that comes from you. I live gratefully as I worship through my work. And many of you, last couple of weeks, you know, heard my story about what's going on with my son Quinn, and you asked, kind of, how's he doing? And I got to tell you, he is at a 100%. I took him roller skating yesterday, and we're going to go downhill skiing again uh, tonight. But one of my favorite moments was on day, like, five or six in the hospital. 
I was at home trying to sleep. Beth was there with Quinn in the morning, and she sent me these pictures. And this is my wave offering this morning. Look at that joy. And he's 100% recovered now, but that was the moment. It just That was my wave offering. We've been, we've been thanking God. We've been praising God. We've been praying to God. But this is kind of my wave offering. God, thank you for my son. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your work. Thank you that you work in wilderness. Thank you that you're trustworthy. Wilderness. Offering. And gratitude. And maybe you've been doing that. You, you've been living in such a way that your friends are curious about what makes you tick. And it's not just you've got a neat personality. There's something about what you believe, who you serve. And you're saying, well, I don't know how I get from not talking about Jesus, but having kind of conversations about people interested in what makes me tick and talking about God. So what we do as a church is we try and provide ways to do that. And one of those is coming up uh, next week. So if you have somebody who loves food, we're going to kind of stop the book of Numbers for for one week, and we have a guest speaker who's going to talk all three services, 8.30, 9.45, and 11 o'clock, on what it means that God is a foodie. She has been in salt mines, she has been to wineries in the Middle East, and all of her research on food in its context, she's going to bring to bear what it looks like that God is a foodie. Let me let let her explain kind of who she is and uh, what she's going to talk about next week. Maybe you want to invite a friend. I'm becoming increasingly convinced that one of the least discussed and most important attributes of God is that God is a foodie. Now, a foodie is one who takes a particular interest in food, and I have an insatiable interest in food and the Bible. So I decided to start searching the scripture, looking for all the mentions of food. Jesus, he turns water into wine. He feeds 5,000. He feeds 4,000. He fills fishermen's nets. He serves brunch on the beach. Around the table, he performs healings and exposes the hardness of religious hearts, including our own. Jesus spends so much time eating and drinking, he's accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. And yet, Some of Jesus' most stunning miracles and remarkable teachings all take place during table time. Now, there may not be a literal table present, but what we see in the life of Christ is that through the procurement of food, the preparation of food, the serving of food, the enjoyment of food, and the discussions surrounding the food, that Jesus is continually transforming lives. And I think that that challenges you and I to take a second look at what Christ might want to do in our lives whenever we gather around the table to eat. So again, this is one of many opportunities we have, but it'll be at all three services next week that maybe as you've been worshiping through your work and creating interest in, in spiritual conversations, you might say, hey, do you know God's a foodie? Uh, we got a, a kind of a world-class speaker who's going to come and talk about that next week. So how do we apply all of this chapter in our life? I think it's this. I want you to practice. Now we're talking about practices. I want you to practice this week for 12 days. Practice being God's gift to others. Now we often hear that in a bad way, right? Well, he thinks he's God's gift to mankind, right? Because he's some egomaniac and some proud, arrogant, you know. But if you really get what God's saying here, I want you to practice knowing that you're God's gift those around you. Look look how he says it here as he ends this this last chapter and next one. 
Guys, I sanctified myself. I, I sanctified them, these Levites, to me. I made them my own. I adopted them. They're in my family. I've given them a purpose. I have given the Levites as a gift. They're God's gift to Aaron to help him do the work. Look at that. The Levites are God's gift to Aaron to do the work. Did you know that you are God's gift to the earth to do what you're passionate about, to do what you've been skilled to do, to do what what you've been spiritually enabled to do? You're God's gift, and it's not just for elevating yourself, but to do the work of the kingdom through your work and through your relationships and through your time on earth. And what was their specific work for the Levites? Well, for theirs, it was to actually make atonement for the children of Israel, teach people how to find forgiveness, how to reconnect with God, how to move into sacred space. And Aaron presented them, the people, like a wave offering to the Lord. And Aaron made atonement for them to do the work of the tabernacle. Now notice the connection in chapter 9, back to what God has done. For I've given the Levites as a gift to Aaron, and now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness. He speaks in the wilderness of Sinai. In the first month of the second year after they came out of the land of Egypt, saying... Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. And he goes on to talk about Passover, which we'll address next week. To see again, he says, I want you to act like God's gift to those around you because I and Passover is my gift to you. And since Jesus is the ultimate Passover, Jesus was God's gift to us. And did he come to be served or to serve? To serve. So Jesus knew he was God's gift to mankind and he spent his life encouraging others, affirming others, challenging others with truth to free other people. He wanted to find a way to use his life to be God's gift to the people around him. And since God is our Passover and since Jesus is our deliverer and since he was God's gift to us, we live like God's gift to those around us. What if every day for the next 12 days... You look for ways that everyone you run in contact with, your kids, your parents, your coworkers, your boss, and you say, how can I encourage them? How can I affirm them? How can I, out of my mouth, not my head and my heart, they can hear that I notice what they do and I'm thankful for it. Three ways you can practice being God's gift to others in the next 12 days. Number one, I want you to practice daily waving to God. Throw out the Chad's C3 method, and I want you to instead, every day, get up and daily wave. God, maybe you have a lot of friends who have COVID right now, and you've been thinking a lot about oxygen levels and the breath in your lungs. When's the last time you got up and thanked God for the breath in your lungs every day? It's pretty darn important. When's the last time you thanked God for all the little things he has done, all the big things he's provided, all the things that are going right rather than focusing on just what he hasn't done or should have done or hasn't done yet. Daily, I want you to practice. Right? Practice makes perfect. You've got to practice this. Twelve days, I want you to practice daily waving to God. The second thing I want you to practice is thinking about your work life, your 24-7 life, your, your non-church time life as an opportunity to worship through your work. God, who's in my life I could serve, I could be grateful for, I could encourage, I could affirm? Would the people around me espouse that I'm living a life that they would want? 
My buddy Pat has been in the hospital for the last three or four weeks with COVID, and it's been very, very serious and very, very on a knife's edge at times. I called and FaceTimed him almost every other day in some way, and one day as I was chatting with him on FaceTime, FaceTime comes up, and he's got his mask, and he's coughing, and oxygen levels, and all that going behind, and he's like, hold on a second, hold on a second, takes his mask off. I'm smiling under here, Chad. I'm smiling under here. Every time I call him, he showed me his smile underneath the mask. He said, Chad, uh, my relationship with God has gone so deep during this time because I'm having to trust him and I'm choosing joy in the midst of it. Then he told me a story that just, uh, I think it was last week, one of the nurses that came in who had a deep sense of spirituality. She loved people. She served people. (coughs) She prayed for all of her patients. But he felt prompted by God as they were talking about the fear of death and the fact that he didn't want to die, but he also didn't fear death. She's like, really? And he said, well, what would you do if you stood before God one day? And she said, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone can know that. He said, oh, you can. And he shared the gospel. He talked about Jesus conquering of death and the confidence he had in facing death. He said, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to accept Christ now and have that same confidence? Well, no. And he got a chance to lead her to Jesus. He said, well, that doesn't sound like work. Well, that was his three or four weeks stay in the hospital. How do I glorify God and draw people to God with my gratitude, with my courage, lack of fear facing death, so other people might see Jesus? Three things. Daily practice waving to God. Ask God, how can I worship through my everyday work and life? And number three, how do I practice generous giving to God and his work? See, it's interesting. Remember we learned two weeks ago that God's tabernacle was in the center, right? And so when you brought your daily offering, everyone knew what you gave, right? We get to get the whole list, right? Well, it looks like uh, the Benjamin tribe's doing quite well this week, and it looks like the Judah tribe is pretty generous. Just, it, was, it was a public display of giving and a public display of gratitude. Imagine if you're, and it was to the local community, uh, gathering of where people learned how to grow and how to get to know God. And everyone knew about that. And they weren't ashamed of it. They were thankful that other people knew how grateful they were and could demonstrate it. And imagine if every week, and we're not going to do this, your giving to God's work here at our church was flashed up on the screen. And that's not to make you feel guilty. The opposite. It's like, yes, I am so thankful for what God's done that I would want people to know. I would want people to know how thankful I am for how I've experienced his mercy and experienced his grace. That was the kind of public display of gratitude and generosity that went on. And maybe this year for the next 12 days, for the first time in your life, you want to give financially to God's work here in this place. What's pretty cool for the last month is I got so many notes and cards from you praying for Quinn, praying for Beth and I, But also, almost every one of you said something like, our marriage was safe by this church. I've never been in a Bible study until four years ago. Until you connected me with that guy who helped me during that very difficult season of my life, I'm not sure where I'd be today. It just reminded me how humbled I am and how grateful I am to be the pastor of this church where I can't tell most of the stories, but I know so many stories how God is working his mercy here where people are learning the Bible, learning how to forgive, reconciling friendships and relationships, 
coming near God, seeing family members who weren't even interested in God come to know Jesus for the first time. It is such an honor to be part of that. I would just say to you, as you think of what God's doing in your life, in your friend's life, in your heart, I hope you're given to lots of places. But I hope one of your practices is practicing generous giving to the local place that God is using to grow you. As we do things like study the book of Numbers, and we've been covering it in big chunks because starting in about two weeks, we're going to start doing one chapter at a time because we're back into these deep narratives that are going to be very, I don't know, inviting in. Because we want you to love God and know his word. What's this whole book about? Remember what we learned last week? It's about in the wilderness. It's about counting. Counting on God's presence in the center of your life. So for the next 12 days, I want you to count. Every day you get up. Ah, ah, ah. One good thing from God I see today. Ah, ah. Two things my wife did right. Ah, ah. Three things my husband can be affirmed for. Ah, ah. Four things my boss does that I never say thank you for. Ah, ah. I have never had a couple come into my office for marriage counseling and say, we just appreciate each other too much. <laughs> Not once! But I tell you, every relationship I've ever seen could be infused with life simply by practicing gratitude. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the friendships here, the prayers here, the support here, the redemption that occurs here. And Father, we just ask you continue to do more. Take our gifts from our, our, our livelihood and use it to draw people to you and to deepen our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We listen, if you want some prayer or you just want to connect or ask questions, third door and left is the hearth room. We'd love to chat with you, connect with you, pray for you, whatever's going on in your life. And we will see you next week for the taste of the Bible.